0: Great. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, I, I wanted to come and share a story about a fight that I got in. So, so that I could, you know, look like the hero and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the problem is I only have one fight story because I've only ever been in one fight. And you all have heard it multiple times. And I think the reason why I only have one fight story is because unless you're crazy, you probably don't like to get into fights. Now, let me say this. God has put something in the hearts of young men, little boys, that makes us want to fight a little bit, right? Like moms, how many times have you looked at your, at your husband and go, what is wrong with our boys or our boy? Like, why is everything about hitting stuff, killing stuff, breaking stuff, you know, destroying things? Why do they always wrestle each other? Like, is that normal? I'll just tell you, that is normal. It's part of what God's made us for. But most of, for most of us, we try to avoid violence, right? If we can, we try to avoid violence. And so I only, I only really have one fight. But that doesn't mean that I'm not sometimes looking to get into a little bit of scrappiness, and I'm not looking to pick a fight, I'm not trying to be a jerk with people, but, but, I, but God has worked something in me, and my wife hates it, uh, when something doesn't look right, and there's nobody else around, or something doesn't look right, and I am in the situation, <laughs> I have to enter into it to make sure everything's okay. So like, you know, you're driving down the street and you see two people, and they're not, they're not, they're having intense fellowship, but it's not good intense fellowship, and you're like, you, you know, you pull a U-turn and your wife goes, where are you going? I said, that didn't look right. What are you going to do about it? I don't know, but I'm going to go pay attention. So uh, I just want to tell a quick story about this. Uh, last year we were at a Sabres game. And uh, we were walking out of the Sabres game afterwards along the HSBC building with all those gray pillars. And uh, as we walked past one of the L-shaped pillars, I could, I could hear, I couldn't see a woman crying And saying no, please, no, don't. And so, so I peeled off from the group, and I grabbed a friend. In fact, I grabbed Adrian. It's always good to do this with a friend, right? Uh, I want to greet somebody here. Ryan and Kelly, you guys are here. Would you just stand up? These are Eliza's parents. Uh, Congratulations on your grandbaby. And their son, Zeke, who just moved into, into the region. We welcome you to Western New York, man. We're so excited that you're here. Uh, they, are, they are campus uh, pastors in Arizona, and uh, your children are li- living your legacy, and we're just so honored that we get to be part of that here. We have, I have a feeling, because you have a grandbaby here, and all your children are here, we're going to see a little bit more of you, and so we welcome you and honor you, and we hope that uh, Western New York is as kind to you as it is uh, to us, and that you find this as a home or a second home. Or home. Um, and anyway, so, so your son-in-law, his uh, son-in-love, Adrian, was with me, and I just said, hey, come with me. And I, don't, don't, you, don't you love having friends that just will do whatever you ask to do? He's like, yeah, sure. I don't even know if he knew what we were getting into. And so we walked over, and we walked kind of around the pillar, and just kind of stood there for a second. And the lady's back was to us, and, and she had uh, the guy kind of pinned against the pillar. And she was like hitting his chest and saying, no, no. And I just observed it for a couple minutes, and I'm like, huh, let's see what's going on. And um, so I said, excuse me, uh, ma'am or miss, do you need any help? She didn't realize I was there until I said that. And she turned around, and she said, do I look like I need any blanking help? I've I've found in those situations that playing dumb can help you a little bit. And I said, I, I don't know. I just I just heard some some commotion over here and I just, you know, came over to see if you needed any help. And to which she repeated, "Do I look like I need any blanking help?" And I said, well, "I'm just just want to make sure you're all right." And stood there for a second because I wanted to kind of make sure everybody knew that we were there and um And she goes, what's your problem? (laughs) Can't I have a moment with my boyfriend? And I just kind of, you know, I did the smile and... She kind of called me a few more choice names and uh, dismissed me. Now, I I did make a mistake in this encounter. I should have asked the guy if he needed help. (laughs) Because he looked terrified and embarrassed and ashamed, and um, you know, I don't know if he if he ever listens to this man. I'm sorry, I'm sorry I didn't ask you if you needed help, because that could have been your moment of deliverance. It sounded like he was trying to get out of the relationship, and she wasn't having that. He probably needed some help, but for the most part, as people, we run away from violence. We like to st- st- how many of you like getting punched in the face? I have a sneaking suspicion that this, this hu- thank you for praying for me guys, and that this hundred hours I'm going to do, I'm going to end up getting punched in the face. They texted me yesterday, make sure you bring a mouth guard. <laughs> or they said, make sure you bring your mouth guard. That assumes that I have one. <laughs> People who own mouth guards who don't play football or lacrosse or like a, a regular sport have a mouth guard because they expect to get punched in the face. But for the most part, we, like sane people, we try to avoid violence. We, we, we pretend like it's not with us or it's not there. We walk away. Sometimes we'll even like, see something going on and be like, hey, that's none of our business. We talk ourselves out of it because we are conditioned as people to, to, to remove ourselves from violence. Violence is uncomfortable. We'll watch it on TV. We'll talk about it. You know, oh, that's really cool. Or, you know, we'll watch Karate Kid and get all jazzed up and put our karate outfits on and... Play karate for the rest of the day. You know what I'm talking about. If you were a kid in the 80s, you know what I'm talking about. Don't tell me you didn't tie one of those things around your head, right? You find your dad's ties and just make it happen. But, but when, we are, when we're older, we avoid violence. Here's the thing, though. We will all encounter violence in our lives. We will be in situations where there will be physical, spiritual, emotional violence that we will encounter. It is inevitable as human beings, that we would, in a broken world, that we would not encounter violence or war in some kind of way. I want to look at a scripture this morning because we're talking about the heart of God, and I want to talk about the heart of God when it pertains to war, and I want to look at how we cannot, we cannot avoid this violence. So turn with me in Exodus chapter 14. We're not going to land there, but we're just going to look there really quick. You can read the whole account later. But what's happening in this, in this account is the people of Israel have been enslaved By force in Egypt, and they have left Egypt. In fact, they left Egypt through an act of violence. God sent the plagues on the Egyptians so that the Egyptians would release his people from their bondage and from their slavery into their promise, into the things that God had called them into. And so scripture says they didn't just kind of slip out in the middle of the night. Scripture says that they plundered Egypt. They left with the riches of Egypt in their hands. And scripture also says they left with their fists raised. So it wasn't like, hey, give me your stuff, I'm going to sneak out. They were like, yeah, take that, suckers. And how many of you know sometimes when you get punched, you're, you, you kind of go backwards for a little bit and you're kind of, I don't know what's going on. But then a minute later, like, you, you, you're like, hey, that's not okay, I'm coming back for you. Right like some you ever see those videos those viral videos where someone tries to take a lady's purse and the lady's not having it like maybe they take it a little bit but all of a sudden she turns into a track star <laughs> and a boxer all in one and so the people of Israel are leaving and they come up to the Red Sea and Pharaoh thinks wait a minute we've just lost our free labor and they took all of our stuff we are going after them so scripture says he took the whole army all of his charioteers and he chased after The people of Israel. And when the people of Israel saw the army coming, they became despair because they were trapped by violence. When an entire army is coming for you, at you, and you have the Red Sea on the other side of you, you have unavoidable violence coming. They weren't coming to make a peace treaty. They were coming to say, hey, you forgot some stuff and we brought it for you. Would you take it with you when you go? They were coming to either kill them or take them by force back into slavery. They were encountering violence and there was no way around it. And it was uncomfortable. How many of you would be uncomfortable with your impending doom? And so in, the, in this moment that they, they have unavoidable violence, they're cornered by it, Moses stands up and in verse 13, he says, I want, I want you to understand what we're going to do here. Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians that you see today will never be seen again. The Lord will fight for you. Just stay calm. Moses said, we can't get around this but we've got a God that will take us through this. Because there's something interesting that we have to understand. In a fallen and broken world, God has given his people a part of his heart. And his heart, unmistakably, part of his heart is a heart for war. And that makes some of us uncomfortable. We don't like violence. We don't want to think about a God of violence. When we think about Jesus, we think about this flowing-haired hippie dude who worked with wood and leather who walked around saying some fun stuff every once in a while and just loved everybody. He certainly loved everybody. He certainly had a tender heart. But this guy had a heart after the things that God has, and Jesus has a heart. He's coming back not as just the Prince of Peace, but as a warrior to establish peace. And so this, the, the heart of God was displayed. In fact, the, we all know the story because we've all seen the movie with Charlton Heston, right? Right? And if we haven't seen that one, we saw the cartoon version that came out a few years ago. We know the end of the story. That, that God separates the waters. The people walk through the waters. The uh, Egyptians chase after the people. The waters close back on them. And God's, God's word is true. God's prophetic word over them is true. They will not see those Egyptians again. And on the other side of that, the people of Israel, they, they sing a song and they identify something about their God. It's a new revelation of who God is to them. And so they say this in verse uh, 3 of chapter 15. They say, it says this The Lord is a warrior, Yahweh is his name. When they're writing a song about what God has done for them, they identify that God is a warrior. A warrior is not just somebody who, every once in a while, does what they have to when someone's picking on them. A warrior is somebody who's trained, who knows how to apply pressure and force into a situation to get what needs to be done done. And that's what God does for His people. He wars on behalf of His people. In fact, the people just get to stand still. They just get to go where God has called them to go. They go through the water, and God delivers His people because God has a heart when we are cornered by violence to bring us through into deliverance. But it's not a deliverance that is just uh, uh, weak. It's It's a deliverance that's powerful, and it requires a heart for war. See, how we view God and whether or not we see Him as a warrior determines how we will view war and how we will view violence around us. Remember, the violence is there. We have no choice whether or not it's coming, but we do have a choice about how we respond to it. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel, chapter 14. We're going to see two views of war, two different views of war with different results. Now remember, we're going through a series where we're looking at the heart of God. How do, we, how do you and I become men and women who are after God's own heart? And, and, and we've, we've, we've taken this whole, and if, you're, if you've been with us for a while, forgive me for explaining, but we have guests with us this morning. I want to make sure everybody's on the same page. You had a king ruling in Israel named Saul who was rejected as king because he did not have a heart after God. In fact, when God rejected him as king, he didn't, he didn't pull him out right away, but he said, I'm looking for a man after my own heart. That's in the Old Testament, that's, that's right before what we're about to read, right around that time. And, and so David is the man who God finds after his own heart. That's what the New Testament says. In the Old Testament he says, I'm looking for a man after my own heart. In Acts, he says, I have found David to be a man after my own heart. He has personal experience that David is a man after his heart. And so we've been looking at the life of David to see what does it look like to, to carry the heart of God, to be a man or a woman who's after God's heart. Because that's what we want to be. We want our hearts engaged and connected with who God is and what he wants for us. And so we have this this account in chapter 14 of 1 Samuel where Saul, who was the rejected king, demonstrates what a heart for war is not supposed to be. Understand, at this time in, in Israel's history, they were fighting the Philistines. They were their constant enemy. And Saul had gathered the army together to respond to violence but he was sitting under a pomegranate tree now there could be worse trees to sit under right how many of you like sitting under fruit trees that are ready with the fruit right doesn't say in the scripture whether or not i'm sure somebody has a a a theological explanation that the pomegranate tree was there i don't know i don't even know if there's any significance but he's sitting under a tree with his army and he's not doing anything about the violence His heart for war, his heart for violence is to wait until he, and he demonstrates this over and over again, wait till he has what he thinks is enough to handle the situation that he's going into. Let me gather enough troops, let me gather enough enough, uh, provisions and supplies, let me make sure that we sacrifice the right way so God gives us what we need. You know, it's all about him and what he wants to accomplish with it. And so that that causes him to be ineffective or not to jump into what God has for him. He's not fulfilling the role as a leader and a king in the nation saying, this is what we got to handle. God's going to take us to it. Let's let's do it together because God will be with us. But his son is a whole other story. His son, Jonathan, decides to do something about it. So look at chapter 14, verse 1. It says, one day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over there to where the Philistines have their outposts. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around a pomegranate tree at Migron. Verse 4. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozaz and Senech. The cliff on the north was in front of Mishmash, Michmash, sorry, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Geba. Let's go across the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. We can win the battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. Do whatever you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. By the way, if you're going to have the heart of a warrior, you need to find someone around you that will say that to you. And if if you're gathered around men and women who carry a heart of a warrior to go after the things that God has for him, you're going to need people around you that are going to say the same thing to you. Because the enemy will lie to you, other people will lie to you. You need somebody that's going to encourage you. The Holy Spirit will do it, but you need a person as well, or a group of people that say, whatever's in your heart, get it. We're doing it together. All right, then Jonathan told them, we'll cross over and let them see us. If they say, stay where you are, we'll kill you, then we'll stop and we'll not go up. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go up. And that will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer do just that. They climb, the, they climb up into the outpost, up a hill. How many of you know that's not a, t- a tactically wise decision to fight an enemy that's superior in numbers who has the high ground? And yet God delivers them. And God starts this this wave of battle that, that creeps through. All of a sudden, Saul hears it and he's like, oh, well, I guess now's the time to jump in. And so Saul and all his warriors, they jump into the fight and they go to the battle and God does a great deliverance for the people of Israel. Two views of war. One, let's get in, let's do what God's asked us to do, and the other one, let's wait until we've got it all figured out. Now Saul was rejected and David was chosen to replace him because I because we know David had a heart after God's own heart. David had a heart for war. Do you know David had a heart for war? In Psalm one forty four, verse one, I have it. I'm, I have it on my shirt. It's on the back of my shirt. I wore it. I, I get it. Like it's kind of obvious, but it just feels good to preach in a warrior shirt when you're talking about war, right? David blesses the Lord. One of the reasons he worships the Lord, one of the reasons he finds value in the Lord, or he's gained the Lord's heart, is this. He says, praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He gives my fingers skill for battle. David decided to understand the heart of God, the the value and the worth and the identity of God, and said, and God, not only have you given that and displayed that for yourself, but you have brought me into that identity. David was a warrior. He knew that himself personally, but also the people of Israel knew it. He's famous as a warrior. In fact, at one point when, when the kingdom was, was, his son was vying for the kingdom, Absalom was trying to take the kingdom from his father, and in, mo- in, most, ca- in most estimates, had actually stolen it, and David was on the run. Absalom, his son, gathered his advisors around and said, hey, what are we going to do? Do we chase after my dad? Do we go after him now? Do we fight him? How do we do this? And he's getting advice from all different people on how to attack his own father and listen to what one of the people say about David so that we can understand who David was and how he carried this heart out. Second Samuel chapter 8. Did I get that right? It says, you know your father and his men—they're mighty warriors. Right now, they are as enraged as a mother bear who's been robbed of her cubs. 2 Samuel seventeen, verse eight. And remember that your father is an experienced man of war. He won't be spending the night among the troops. He is probably already hidden in the, some pit or cave, and when he comes out and attacks a few of your men fall, there will be panic among your troops. Then the word will spread that Absalom's men are being slaughtered. Then even the bravest soldiers, though they have the heart of a lion, will be paralyzed with fear. For all of Israel knows what a mighty warrior your father is and how courageous his men are. He had a reputation not only understood for himself, but he had a reputation among the people, among his men, as a mighty warrior, as a man who carried a heart for God for the wars that must be fought. So I want to read a scripture and... This morning, I want to read a bunch of it, if we can hang in here for a minute. I want to read the account of David and Goliath. And I get it. Like, we're in a church. Most of you grew up understanding this story. Most of you have acted it out. Some of you have been in here when I've built a sling and, and, I, and I, I flung things around at a giant Goliath that we had posted on the back wall. We've preached through this. In fact, uh, uh, thank you. Pastor Mike Wing was with us in August, and he preached an incredible message about hills and valleys. I mean, incredible message. You know, he was here Thursday night when I when I preached this the first time. Do you know how intimidating that is to preach a message when somebody just preached a really, really good one about the same passages of scripture? But I believe that God has something for us in the understanding of how to carry the heart of God. So, would you look at me uh, with me at First Samuel? We're going to read a bunch of scripture, and then uh, we're going to talk about carrying the heart of God for war. First Samuel seventeen. The Philistines mustered their army for battle and camped between Succa and Judah. And Saul countered by gathering the Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. And so the Philistines and Israelites faced each other upon the opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out to the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall, and he wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor-bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. Just a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across the Israelites. Why are you coming out to fight? He called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephraim from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And Jesse was an old man at the time, and he had eight sons. And Jesse's three oldest, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. And for 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. Glory to God. He says, take your brother, your brother, these loaves and the roasted grain. Take the leader's cheese. I'm just saying he understood something. He said, "See how your brothers are getting along, and bring back a report on how they're doing." And David's brothers were with Saul in the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as so the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelites and the Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brother, brothers. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Geth, came out from the Philistine ranks, and then David heard them shout, his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes." David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that's the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Verse 32. Don't worry about the Philistines, David told Saul. I will go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You are only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. And when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And finally Saul consented, All right, go, he said. He said, And may the Lord be with you. And Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. And David put it on and strapped the sword over and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. and He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and he put them into a shepherd's bag. Then armed with only his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. And David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and I will cut off your head. And then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with the sword and the spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give it to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, And Goliath stumbled and fell face forward on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath. And David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. right, everybody take a breath. You hung with me for 51 verses of Scripture. Pat yourself on the back. You did a marathon scripture. You're free. You don't have to do your quiet time for the rest of the week. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Thank you for hanging with me. So what do we understand from this scripture about carrying the heart of God for war? Just a few things and we'll wrap it up. First is this. Every battle, no matter how it manifests, whether it's spiritual, emotional, physical, um, relational, every battle that we fight is a battle that starts in the spiritual. They all have a spiritual start, component, and essence to them that is the real battle. Scripture tells us we don't fight against flesh and blood. Look to the person next to you and say, you are not my enemy. The battles that we fight are spiritual in nature. David understood that this was not about the Philistines and the Israelites. This is really awkward, Pastor Jordan. that good? Thank you, bro. Robin, Sue, where are you at? I did the lip for you. David understood that this was not about Philistines. This was not about Israelites. This wasn't about territory. This wasn't really about kingship. He understood that this was a spiritual battle that he was fighting. This was about God and his value in, in, in God and his people. When he went to fight Goliath, he wasn't going to fight him so that he could become king. He might have been going to fight so he could get a wife and no taxes. But he was fighting because he recognized, and this is what he said all the way through, this guy is defying God. Every time he stands up, we all allow him to create a spiritual battle, or to enter into a spiritual battle, and he wins. What happened? Every time the Israelites saw this champion, they ran away in fear. Does that sound like a spiritual battle to you? God was fighting for the hearts of his people. Were they really going to believe that God is who he says he is, and that he has called his people to be who he says they are, and that they had what he said that they had? Every battle is a spiritual battle. David said it this way, who's this pagan who defies the armies of the living God? Is God really alive or is he dead? This battle is a fight for faith. 1 Timothy 6.12 says this, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. It is not just a battle so that you and I can have the best life that we want to have. It's a spiritual battle over the life and death of people around us. The fight that we've been called to fight is a fight of faith. The fight of faith for ourselves first. Is God who he says he is? Are we who he says we are? Has he done what he says he has done, and has he brought us into relationship through the work of the cross that Jesus accomplished? And are we filled with the Spirit of God to extend his kingdom on this earth? That's a fight of faith. But recognize, it's not just a fight for you. It's not whether or not you'll defeat your giants. It's a fight for the people all around you. It's a fight for their salvation. Whether or not we enter into this battle determines whether or not people are going to come to Jesus. It determines whether or not our family will follow the Lord. It determines whether or not our our society and our neighborhoods will continue to slide towards paganism where every idea is recognized as true or if the truth of God's word and who he is will be uh, brought to the forefront in his people and many will come to the Lord. The battle is happening. The problem is most of us aren't in it and it's happening all around us and we just run in fear whenever it comes up. Every battle is a spiritual battle. And understand this, that the battle is a battle for identity. It's a battle for identity. That's where it starts for you and me. It was a battle for David's identity. Was David who God said he was? Was David called to what God had called him to? Did God really mean to do something powerful in and through David? See, God had already anointed him as the next king. David knew what his calling was, but it was a battle for his identity. And look at, look at how many times somebody was coming after David's identity. This is how the enemy works with us. Just like Goliath, chapter 17, verse 8. Goliath says, I'm a champion and you're just a servant. Look at the person next to you and tell them, you're a champion. The enemy would love nothing less than to rob you of the idea that in Jesus you're a champion. Because if he has you just thinking that you're servants of somebody else and not servants of the Most High, he can win. Because when a champion stands up and says, I'm a champion, they'll say, okay, you and me, let's go, come on. But if we're just servants, we gather around with the other servants and we wait for the champion to do what he's called to do. Each one of you in Jesus Christ has been called into this earth as champions. He has given you things to accomplish, territory to take and territory to rule and and people to win to Christ. He has called you into that. And the enemy wants to destroy it by saying, I'm the champion, I'm strong, you're just a bunch of weak Christians. Listen, guys... And let me, I'm try, not trying to offend people here, but, but listen, many of us say this thing I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Stop! You are a saint, you are a son and a daughter of the Most High. You belong to God. You have been redeemed and set free, and this power of sin has been broken in your life. You are not destined to sin over and over and over again and having to come beg at your Father's feet for forgiveness. What Jesus accomplished on the cross is powerful enough to be once and for all for your sin, and you can walk in that anointing. You can walk in that identity. We are saints of the living God. It's a, it's a war for identity. Look at verse 28. You're just a shepherd. Did you hear the, the stain in his brother's voice? Just so th- that's those, those small amount of sheep you have? You, you, you're not destined for this. You're supposed to... I mean, what do we think of, like, between warriors and shepherds? Shepherds sit in a field of grain while their sheep eat, and they play their harps and eat the lamb every once in a while by the streams right we have a picture of that in Psalm 23 and for many of us when the enemy comes after our identity he says listen this is what you're called to would you just relax would you just go back to your shepherding just take care of a few sheep that's your place and what's what that's not the truth of who God has called you to be we're warriors we're champions. We're not destined to the small things. That's a, that's a word that has been over this region, and it's broken in the name of Jesus. We're not destined to shrink back. And, like, uh, I'm not a motivational speaker. Understand this. But, but we've got to understand who we are and what God has called us to. It's a war for identity over and over again. He goes to, to, to Saul, and Saul says, You're just a boy. It's not your time yet. Take it easy, tiger. I've been exercising with my son and um, I do this to him all the time. I am Saul to his David. We get out there and he's like, "I'm going to take off, dad." And he just starts cooking. And I'm like, "Slow it down, bro. We got 4 miles to go." Like and eventually he, he's with me like he's catching up that you can't just when you you know when you're like 14 and you think you can do anything. And and initially like that, all that testosterone and stuff that's just running through, you can you can start that way, but in order to finish it out, you need a little bit of wisdom like on how to pace yourself and energy and things like that. But, but, but we do this to people spiritually, and the enemy does this to us. You can't do that. You can't run like that. You, you weren't created for that. And the problem is we listen to it so much that when we step out to do it, our muscles aren't exercised. Our skills aren't ready. We step into things that we think we're called to do, and when it feels uncomfortable or when it hurts or when the enemy comes after us and all of a sudden we're a little bit more broken, we tend to back off of those things. Ow, that hurts. spiritually we go after the giants in the land and, and and maybe it doesn't work out so hot the first time or maybe we step up just like David did and everybody's like you're an idiot and we're like oh maybe I shouldn't have done this and we back off and and or maybe when we start to do it like you know we're we're, we're flinging the the sling and and we go to fling it and we throw our arm out spiritually doing it and they're like I, I, and then we start to oh bigger level higher levels higher devils i don't want those higher devils i'm going to back off and the truth is this, if we'll just keep continuing to step into the things that God has for us, he will train our hands for war and our fingers to fight. Cuz we're warriors. He says you only have sticks. Goliath says you just got a stick. <laughs> you don't have weapons. We try to fight spiritual battles and, and, and we step out into it and, uh, and the enemy tries to intimidate us. All, all you got is prayer, man. You think that's actually going to do something? Heck yeah. Watch me now. Because the enemy wants us to, to forget what we have in our hands. He wants us to forget the power that he's given to us. He wants us to forget that we've been covered with the entire arm of the God. We've been given the word of God We've been given the presence of God. The weapons of our warfare are mighty for tearing down strongholds. They're not Nerf guns aimed at bad guys. You and I aren't playing war with airsoft guns and BB guns. We have the effective weapons that the King of Kings has given us and trains our hands to use to defeat every work of the enemy in our lives. Not by our power, not by our might, but by the Spirit it's a battle for identity and so what do we have to do we got to get in the fight we got to get in the fight we just have to be willing to do something about it David says I'm going to jump into the fight and we cannot allow small beginnings to intimidate us David's small beginnings were with lions and bears how many of you saw the viral video this week of the woman that went into the lion's pit and, and taunted the lion anybody see that? Anybody read that she didn't cross the moat? You can't see it in the video, but she didn't cross the moat, right? How many of you would be willing, don't do this, how many of you would be willing to go jump in the lion pit at the Buffalo Zoo this afternoon with me to face some lions? Okay, good, I'm glad. Let's not be stupid about this, right? But for David, he had no choice. The violence was happening. There was, a, there was a lion, there was a bear that was coming to take his livelihood, to take away his purpose, to take away what God had called him to be faithful in, going to do violence to the gift of God in his life, to what God was equipping him to do. And so when a lion or a bear came, David went and took the lion or the bear by the face and killed it, by the jaw. I, I, I've encou- how many of you have encountered live bears in the wild? I've encountered live bears in the wild. How many of you, it, it just came over you like, hey, I'm going to grab that thing by the jaw and kill it. <laughs> now, now, some of us would love the story that comes after. Like, I have a, I have a stuffed bear, thank you, uh, Steps Ministries. You guys gave this to me a long time ago. I have a bearskin rug that somebody gave you and you gave to us. And now it's at my dad's house. And I love to tell people, yeah, I killed it with my bare hands. Well, no, like somebody gave it to me. Somebody shot it, stuffed it, and somebody gave it to me. It doesn't occur to me, it didn't occur to me when I saw a black bear with all my students as a youth pastor in the woods in Virginia that was coming towards us, it didn't occur to me to go grab the black bear by the face and kill it. It did occur to me to pick up a big rock and a big stick, but it occurred to me to walk backwards with the big rock and the stick while doing the... That was the extent of my bravery in that spiritual battle. But the truth is this. It, we have to get in the fight. The fight is happening. Matthew eleven twelve 12 says this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence or has been coming on with violence or violently has been advancing violently. And the violent take it by force. Some, I think some of the scripture verses or some of the versions of scripture miss. Uh, translate this, and they say it suffers violence. The kingdom of God suffers violence, or or violence is coming against it. That was not true of the kingdom at that time. Jesus would suffer violence eventually, but what God was saying is that people who are willing to step into the battle are the ones that lay hold of the kingdom. So if we're going to fight, we have to get in the fight. We also have to fight the Lord's battles. David said to, to to Goliath, not Not first, I'm going to kill you. He said, first, the Lord will conquer you. He did tell him, I'm going to kill you. Did you catch that? I'm I'm going to to kill you and cut off your head. But he said, first, in verse 46, the Lord will conquer you. And he said, in verse 47, the battle belongs to the Lord. But get this, sometimes as believers, we think the battle belongs to the Lord. Because it does, right? The battle belongs to the Lord, it's true. And so we think we need to be like the Israelites, just waiting for the battle to happen. The battle belongs to the Lord, so God, when are you going to show up? That's how we pray, that's how we disciple, that's how we act, that's what we expect. God, the battle belongs to you, so I'm just waiting. The battle belongs to you. Why is it still raging around me? And why am I getting destroyed and all my family's getting destroyed too? The battle belongs to you, God. We're waiting. Listen, it's true, the battle belongs to the Lord, but the the battle belongs to the Lord so we can step into the fight. David had to step into the fight after he declared that the battle was the Lord's. We have to be willing to fight the Lord's battles, the things that matter to him. It is not for you and I to advance our lives. It's to advance the kingdom of God that we fight these battles. And the battle, because they're his battles, belong to the Lord. We have to count the cost as we're going to do it. David counted the cost. First he said, what do I get? A wife and no taxes. Sounds pretty good. But did you catch it? It wasn't just a wife and no taxes. It was a wife and no taxes for his entire family. How many of you would have been like dressing David in your battle gear if you were his brother? Yo, take this with you. Go for it, my man. You get a wife, I get no taxes. And yet his brother was backing off on that. So we have to count the cost. But for David, it cost him. David, wanted to, David was passionate for the presence of God. He wanted to build a temple to honor the Lord. What did the Lord say to him? 1 Chronicles 28.3, it cost him to be a man of war. He said, but God said to me, you must not build a temple to honor my name, for you are a warrior and have shed much blood. David was willing to say, I don't care what it costs me to get into the battle to do what God's asked me to do. Some of us are, are afraid to fight the battles because we're afraid of what people think about us. Or we're afraid that as we're fighting the battles, the, the, the good life we want to live is going to happen around us and we're going to miss it. And yet God has called us to fight these battles because he wants to push his kingdom forward on earth. And sometimes those, those battles that we're called to fight, we're going to fight them and other people are going to get some, some of the other good stuff and glory because we fought the battle. David fought the battles and his son Solomon was able to build the temple because David fought the battles and accumulated all the things needed and Solomon was able to bring execution to it. We need to be willing to fight the battles so that others may advance in the kingdom of God. That's the cost of carrying the heart of God and of being a warrior. We have to stay confident and not be talked out of it. David could have been talked out of it by the crowd. They run away and they're like, hey, have you seen the giant? I saw the giant, that's why I'm running. He could have been talked to, out of it by others. His brothers questions his motives. This is the one I struggle with. When I step out to do the things that God has told me to do and somebody says, uh-uh, are you sure your heart's in the right place? And I stop doing what God's asked me to do because I'm worried about what somebody else thinks about me and my motives. The truth is this, if we're close to God, if our heart is after the things that God is after, we can step out into the battles and we don't have to worry about other people questioning our motives. And get stuck. Now, sometimes we need our, our motives questioned. Sometimes our motives are out of whack. And we need brothers and sisters who really understand us. The kind of armor bearers that say to Jonathan, do whatever's in your heart, who, already, who really do know our heart. We need people who are, we can be transparent with. But there's lots of people around that we give too much opinion to and too much weight to their opinions. And it prevents us from entering into what God has for us. We cannot allow others to take the confidence and the confidence that we have away. We can be questioned by leaders. Saul says to David, you're ridiculous. <laughs> can you imagine going to your leader and say, hey, uh, pastor, here's my plan. Here's how I'm going to win my neighborhood for Christ. And the pastor goes, you're crazy. Well, thank you, pastor. Bless you. Have a great day. Listen, I'm going to say this, and if you're a leader in this place, just relax for a second. Leaders don't always know better. But notice what David did. David didn't say, thank you, Saul, see you later. David presented a case. He said, you think I'm crazy, but I'm going to tell you what God can do. And he increased the faith of Saul, who didn't have faith for it, by prophesying what had happened before. God's goodness and testimony of his goodness was enough for Saul to realize what God had called him to and release David to it. Finally, Paul... Saul actually consented, all right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. David was not going to move until his leader said, go ahead and do it. So even though his leader wasn't right, David pressed in and pressed through and waited for that. And I believe God honored that. God honored that. We'll be questioned and, and, and our confidence will be swayed, can be swayed by our enemy. What did Goliath have for David? Sneering, contempt, curses, threats, and some big old weapons. The enemy wants you to, to think less of yourself. He wants to make fun of you. He wants you to, to, to be under think that, that his curses and threats mean something and give place to those things. He wants you to think that your weapons are weak. We can be talked out of it by ourselves. The worship team can come. So what do we do? First of all, we have to fight God's way. The Lord, David says, the Lord will rescue me. David didn't put on the armor and go in and say, it's, I'm, I'm going to take my confidence in the fact that this armor was the king's and it's pretty good stuff. I got all, I got all the latest gear. How many of you guys are gearheads? Like you just, like you, you love the gear. Am I the only one? Like it's time to go fishing and, and you've just blown the budget for six months on entertainment, buying your pole and all the stuff that you need for fishing. How many of you are like that? Am I really the only one? Oh, come on. Like, you got, like when the iPhone 11 came out, you're like, i got to have the iPhone 11. Why do you got to have the... Oh, it takes better pictures. Like, you don't even take good pictures with the, with the camera you got now. You know what I'm saying? Like, got to have all this stuff. But we put our confidence in these things rather than in God for these spiritual battles. Listen, the spiritual battles are not going to be won because we have a great church, although we have a great church. The spiritual battles are not going to be won because New Covenant has the greatest looking uh, group of people in the universe, although we have the greatest looking group of people in the universe. The the spiritual battles are not going to be won because we have the greatest systems for disciple making. We have great systems for disciple making, but the battle will not be won because of something that we've put together that we think is going to get us the victory. The battle won't be won because we're going to have a great men's conference on November 8th and 9th. That's going to be part of it. You're going to understand your identity. God's going to call you into some crazy stuff. And if you're a man in this place, I challenge you. Quit whatever else you've got to quit to be there on the 8th and 9th. Forgo money that you might make working to be here so that God can advance his kingdom through you. Don't back off or let somebody else call you away from the destiny that God has for you that will be launched or, and created and purposed in the place, in this place on the 8th and 9th. Challenge yourself, defy the enemy. we got to fight it God's way. We have to trust that it's God who brings the victory. And then we start to declare it. David fights God's way. How does he fight first? He gets permission. Then he goes to to Goliath and he starts to prophesy to Goliath. Goliath is jeering him and taunting him and intimidating him. And what does David say to Goliath? David says, you're done, dude. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you. He starts to prophesy to him. He tells him who he is. He tells him who, who's with him. And then he, starts to, he says, today the Lord will conquer you, and I'll kill you and cut off your head. And then I'm not, you tell me you're going to feed my flesh to the birds of the air. I'm going to feed the flesh of all your, all your buddies to, to, the, to the birds and the beasts as well. David prophesies into the situation the Lord's way. He speaks what the Lord says. See, we don't wage with worldly weapons. We wage with powerful weapons. And the last is this, if the worship team would just start playing. You, need, you and I need to expect promotion. How many of you that makes you a little bit uncomfortable? Well, God, God can get promoted. It's not, not about me. Listen, don't, you and I have to stop worrying about that so much. Because when we do what God has asked us to do, God gets the glory first. That's what happened here. God's promoted. What did David say? Verse 46, then the world will know that there's a God in Israel. See, the battles that God has won, the battles that are the Lord's, the battles that He's calling us to engage in with Him, they're battles that are not for you and I to be looked at as, as, as the David in the situation. Those battles are spiritual battles and it's for His glory in the earth. And when we do what God has asked us to do, when we engage as God has asked us to engage, guess what? The world knows there's really a God. Hmm. And until we do that, they won't know. Because something else gets the glory. Something else has the billing. Something else gets highlighted. Some other... Atmosphere invades your family. Some other name is, is recognized as the greatest name when you gather for your family gatherings. Somebody else owns the territory around your house and in your neighborhood. Somebody else gets the final word over this house. But when we step into it and we fight the battles, we carry the heart of God for war, we're willing to just simply get in the fight. God gets promoted. But also understand this, that's how you and I get promoted. Are you ready for advancement in the kingdom? Then get ready for a battle. This is what it says in 1 Samuel, the next chapter, verse 5. It says, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. God is looking to promote you to promote his kingdom. And he's looking to promote his kingdom by promoting you. It's hand in hand. We we will make sure that God gets the glory. We're not talking about self-promotion here. But we're talking about having a heart for war that we're going to enter in and do what God's asked us to do. And we will expect promotion in it. That's the way God works. When we're faithful with little, he gives us more. We take care of the sheep. He gives us more sheep. We take care of the sheep, and the lions and the bears come. They get off too. And eventually, he brings us to a place where we're standing in front of giants and nobody else is doing anything. And we're willing to just step into it and say, God, I trust you. I trust you, and I want to see you glorified in this. And we don't have to fight the battle. We just have to step into it because it's already fought and won. If you close your eyes, I don't know what battle you're fighting today. I don't know what's in front of you. I can guess. I know some of it, and I know some of you. But here's what I want to say get in the fight. I don't, know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what the enemy's been speaking to you. I don't know what lies he's been pouring over in your mind. I don't know what, how he's been attacking you or coming after you. But tell him no more. And don't just stop there. Start to tell him who, he, who God has created you to be. Start telling him. Start asking the Lord. If you don't know yet, say, God, who have you created me to be? Ask him. And ask him, God, what have you given me to fight with? What's your plan for this this in my life? What's your plan for this, Goliath? What do you want to see happen? And then just step out and do what God's asked you to do. Get in the fight. For some of us, this is is the first time we're hearing about this spiritual stuff. Or maybe we've heard it before and we've we've kind of been away. Listen, if you're here this morning and you want to come into the, the armies of the Lord, you want to belong to the family of God, you want to be the chosen people of God, he, he has provided a way to do that through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved, we'll be brought into the family of God. So it is, it's a war for identity this morning. You can say, I believe. You can say, because you got to know in your heart and you've got to say it. That is the only way is Jesus. You'll be in that family. If that's you here this morning, you, you're sensing the war that's raging in your heart over your affections right now. Your heart is stirring. And I just want to encourage you, don't walk away from the fight. Here, here, here's going to be your David and Goliath moment. In a minute, we're all going to stand and some people are going to come forward and respond. But when that happens... When that happens, if, if you're here this morning and you know you have to enter into a relationship with God, God's calling you in, and you're ready to do that. I want you to stand, and when you stand, you go to my right, your left. Right over here. And you tell the people that are standing there, hey, I want to I give my life to God. I want to surrender my life to God. I'm jumping in the fight as his kid today. That's your David and Goliath moment. The, go, the Goliath of self-will is going to die in that moment. But I'm asking for the rest of us that are here this morning, what are you going to do about it? And I think the message is simply this. The invite is simply this. Are you ready to get in the fight? Are you ready to engage? Whatever it is. Maybe you've been in a fight. Maybe you've been weary, but there's something else in front of you. You're like, I can't take it anymore. I've done enough, and I'm ready to give it up. But the Lord's saying, no, today I've got one more giant in front of you. And you're like, All right, everything you've done with me up to this point, it's just training. The lions and the bears, I got, you took care of those, and so, and you gave me the power over those, and so I'm going to trust you that you're going to do this. And if you're ready to engage and stand in the fight, you're ready to come off the sidelines, you're ready to not be an Israelite anymore, just waiting for somebody else to do something, waiting for the deliverance to come going to say, God, I'm willing to be part of your deliverance. I'm willing to be part of the kingdom of God advancing and exploding in western New York or in your family or in your job or in your home. If you are ready to enter into the fight, to respond to the call of God, to carry the heart of God for war, I want you to stand right now. There's something interesting that, that I, I, I've read this Account a thousand times I don't know if it's a, that's a lie not a thousand a lot I never caught something before did you catch that when David or when Goliath starts going towards David he, it says he steps towards him but scripture says that David ran quickly to Goliath uh, like the, it was a superhero movie explosion in my head when I read it this time I saw David like, like just do that giddy up and go like alright here we go like he was Captain America running in Right? And I don't think, like, in my mind, he just, he took the things out and he's running. As he's running, he's, like, literally moving. He doesn't stop. You know, it's like one of those movies where, and he just throws the sling. He doesn't even stop as he's running. He just keeps running because as, as that, that stone is flying through the air, he's still pursuing the enemy. And he gets there almost, like, right after the dude falls flat on his face and cuts his head off. Like, it just doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. There's something about that momentum shift, overcoming that inertia see what's happening is this our hearts are starting to beat for the things of God but we, we can stand here and just let it happen or we can advance into it and I'm not trying to be weird but I want to do something physical to respond I want to overcome that inertia spiritually physically emotionally even don't don't misunderstand the things that we do in the natural they have spiritual consequences Amen. they have spiritual effect and by sometimes, sometimes staying in our seats, we, we give over to the view of what everybody else thinks around us. But there's something about saying, I don't care anymore. I don't care who's behind me. I don't care who's in front of me. God's calling me into this battle, and I'm willing to jump in. We step forward, and we defy the past. And we defy what people think about us, and we come into what God has for us. Our hearts are starting to beat for the things of God. That's why we're going to sing a song in a minute. But here's what uh, uh, scientists have told us. I just learned this this week, that the, the drums that they used to use for war, the big drums, beat at a certain hertz, and I'm going to get the science wrong, forgive me, but it's the same, those drums beat at the same uh, hertz level, or whatever, however you describe it, someone else can tell me better, that your heart beats at. So there's something about the beat of that drum that cuts through all the noise of battle, all the noise that's going around you, and all of a sudden, your heart starts to beat with everybody else's. Boom. Boom boom, boom, your heart beats for what God's heart beats with, what the commander, what the the Lord of heaven's armies beat for. Our hearts are starting to beat for it this morning. And so as we sing this song, I want to invite you to enter into that. As you hear that drumming on your heart to enter into the battle, I want to invite you to make a move and come forward. Make a move and come forward. Come to the Lord. Don't stand back. Don't wait. Don't say that the hour is late. Say, God, I'm coming all the way in. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm in the battle with you. Let's go after God as we sing this song right now.
1: Lord, just thank you, God, that you go before us. Lord, that you fight for us. And, God, that you are victorious. And, Lord, I just pray, God, that as we stand here before you, that you call us victors, that we are overcomers. Lord, that the things of this world cannot bring us down. Lord, when we call upon your name, Lord, you promise that we are saved. So, Lord, just thank you, God, for loving us And Lord, that you never give up on us, Lord. And we trust you in everything. So we just uh, give out a a shout to the Lord for what he's done today. Amen? Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, you, God. And so as this week goes on, just carry that in your heart. And uh, so we have, uh, as you are hearing so much of, but... Uh, the men's conference is coming up, and you can sign up for that on, on an app. There is going to be people in the back to help you to do that. Uh, if you'd like to give, you can uh, get the app, go to, um, uh, just get it to the app store and download that. And there's several ways of giving, either by texting or the envelopes. And if you're a guest with us, there's no obligation uh, to give. But if God is doing something in your heart, just bless the Lord with that and just see what he would do. And so for the rest, you give your tithes and offerings. Their ushers are in the back with their baskets, and so you can drop those there. And also, if you're a guest with us, please meet us back at Guest Central. We have a place back there uh, with some gifts and a little uh, opportunity to get to know you. And small groups are ongoing. If you want to know the kindness of God... And if you want to continue to step into being that warrior man and woman, yes, I said the women are also warriors in this house. My wife is a great warrior, I should say. And so if you want to plug into that and have God encourage and strengthen you, that's a place to do that. And also, as Pastor Josh said, if you have received Jesus and, and you want to deepen that relationship and understand that, Right over here to my right, your left, there'll be people there praying for you, and there's prayer partners here on the side as well. So bless you as you go. Amen. See your victory. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna see, see you.